Happy Veterans Day. Um, really quickly, if you served in uh, one of our branches of the military, would you stand so we might be able to thank you for the work that you did? Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate your service very much so. And I know that uh, probably everybody in the room has a family member or friend who has served, and some of us probably uh, have loved ones that we miss who gave their life in uh, the, the cost of freedom for our nation. And so uh, let's just take a moment and, and uh, ask the Lord to comfort those who are hurting and to bless those who have served and uh, also to bless our time of learning. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the freedom that we have in this nation. It often reminds me of the freedom that we have in Christ and certainly the service that I see those in our armed forces uh, engage in. Their willingness to put their lives on the line for us and our good reminds us of Jesus. We thank you for their sacrifice. We thank you for the blessings that you've poured out on this nation. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to do so. Lord, we, we long for revival, but we also long for uh, transformation in our country so that there might be peace again for the gospel to be preached, for your love to be proclaimed, uh, for your truth to be known. We see a shift in the worldview of our nation. Help us to not fret, Lord, but instead to trust you in the midst of this transition, knowing that you are still good and that you have plans for your people and that your plan is working out on the earth. We pray, Father, for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, that uh, this weekend that they're remembering uh, those who have gone before and either just died of uh, old age or died in the service. We pray for your comfort and your blessing on them and their households today. And then finally, Lord, last but not least, we pray that you'd be with us as we study your word. We ask that your spirit would be giving us insight, that you'd be convicting us, that you'd be calling us forward, that you'd be encouraging and exhorting us. You say in your word that it is good for correction reproof, rebuke, exhortation, and as all of that, an encouragement. And so we pray, God, that your word would be living and active, and that you would help us to be attentive and listening to you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to do a little bit of a survey on our way into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in chapter 12, verses 1 through 11 today. Uh, but I just have some questions for you, and I just want you to note this. If you're a, a note taker, you can write down your answers, and you can kind of add it up a little bit. But on a, on a scale of 1 to 5, again, just keep this in your head, uh, would you st strongly disagree? So that's 1, to strongly agree, and I think you could figure out 3 or four and two, whatever that works out to be. Uh, so I want to be a part of a church where the Holy Spirit leads, is at work, and is an effective uh, per person of the Spirit when they lead and work, right? So scale of one to five, that's pretty easy. I hope most of you are on the top end of that scale. Uh, next one, on a scale of one to five, I can explain to you what my spiritual gift or gifts is or are. Okay, so not just I have a sense of it, but I can articulate it. I can explain it to you because I understand it and I can help you understand what God has given me. All right? Next, scale of one to five, strongly disagree to strongly agree. I use my spiritual gift or gifts several times a week. So not just once a week, but several times a week to build up the church and to show or share the love of Jesus. Okay, scale of one to five. Next, scale of one to five, I pray for God to show me where or how he wants me to use the gift or gifts that he has given me. So not just I know it, and not just I do it a couple times because that's where I know to do it, but I think that God is going to use me beyond what I am already being used for 
now, that he has purposes bigger than I can imagine or hope for in my life. Scale of one to five. I listen when God shows me where and how he wants me to use the gifts that he has given me, right? It's one thing to ask because we know we're supposed to ask, right? Like Paul says in this chapter, be zealous for the spiritual gifts, right? But another thing to actually then like do the thing, you know? You know, sometimes we're like middle schoolers with a crush. We think about asking God to use us to do something or we even want that, but then we like don't show up for the date when he invites us somewhere, okay? And finally, I am eager to use my gift effectively for God's purposes in my church, right? I'm eager to use my gifts effectively for the purposes, for God's purposes in my church. And okay, now really quickly, if you follow it along, I want you to just add that up and think about that for a minute. Where did you score yourself? So there were what? One, two, three, four, five, six questions. So an A plus is 30. All right, and then we go down to like, what, 35 or 30? Or A plus is 35. No, my, guys, I'm really sorry. My 36 times 5 is 30. 25, right? Now we're moving down into that B range. We get 15, 10, 5. Where, where did you land? Where did you land on your understanding of spiritual gifts? Well, I hope no matter where you are that you answered the last question uh, as a 4 or a 5. I'm eager to use my gifts. Because the fact is that the Holy Spirit has given everyone who believes in Jesus a spiritual gift, or seven, depending upon what he wants to do in your life and through your life. But it's his deal, and it's his desire for your life. In fact, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he's correcting an error, right? They're, they're apparently using the gifts in a weird way, and we're going to unpack that. But no matter what, these next three chapters are all about using the gifts that the Spirit gives us, and listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives so that He is at work in the church. Because where the Holy Spirit is working in the church, there's spiritual power, right? But if there's no Holy Spirit work in the church, then there's no spiritual power, right? And we want to be a church where there's the power of God at work. So we need to learn to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. But I have good news. Uh, God wants you to get in the game. He wants you involved in the work that he is doing on this peninsula, in this church family, or if you're visiting us this week, wherever you live in whatever church family that you're a part of. He has plans for you. He didn't just save you to put you on the shelf and look at you and think, oh, I remember in 1979, it was July 12th. You know, it's not like that with him. He's like, today, today is the day of salvation, and I have work for you to do today. You matter, and God has gifted you, and he wants you on his team, in the game, right now, working with him on things that matter eternally. Now, that really excites me. I hope that really excites you, but that's what we're going to be talking about this week as we go through this text. And so I want you to understand by the end of the time today that the Holy Spirit wants you out of the balcony, on his team, off the bench, and in the game. The Holy Spirit wants you out of the balcony, on his team, off the bench, and in the game. So this is actually the outline of the whole message. Can you believe that? Just five points today. If you understand this, you will get an A plus at the end of the sermon. And if you don't, that's okay. You can talk to me or one of the elders later. We'd love to get you to the place where you have an A plus in these concepts today, okay? So it's not just like, did I get it today? We want you to live it every day. So the first thing that I want to talk about with you guys is the fact that the Holy Spirit wants you. 
The Holy Spirit wants you. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. It says, now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. Now that first phrase, concerning the spiritual gifts, the phrase here is pneumatikos, right? And it means concerning spiritual things or regarding that in your life which is of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to talk about your whole relationship with the Spirit at this point in time. He's not just talking about spiritual gifts. He's saying everything that has to do with the Spirit. Let's talk about these things. I want you to understand the Holy Spirit and what He is doing in you, church family at Corinth or church family at PBC. So that means that we're going to be thinking about spiritual gifts. We're going to be thinking about spiritual purposes. We're going to be thinking about spiritual people. We're going to be talking about all of these things together and how all of them go together to strengthen God's church and accomplish God's purposes. But the first thing that we need to identify is that these are things that are of the Holy Spirit. See, far too often when we start talking about spiritual gifts, do you know who we start to focus on? Me. I mean, not me literally. Maybe you do. Maybe you do focus on the pastor literally, and you think he's the dude who's got it all, and he's got to get it all done. Well, guess what? If that's what the church does, it's game over. We're going to lose, right? Because a one-man show doesn't win. It just doesn't win. Church is a team sport. So often, when we talk about focusing on the spiritual gifts, we start thinking about us. We start thinking about what I've done in the past, and we can bring ourselves to self-praise and self-elevation and accolades for our own faithfulness, or we can shame ourselves and say, I've missed the mark. I haven't done what God has wanted me to do. I've declined the service. I backed away. I was afraid or whatever. Or maybe even you think of a wound because you stepped out to serve, and then somebody ripped you a new one because you stepped on their toes, you worked in their territory, you didn't do it in the way that they envisioned it being done, and rather than coming along and loving you, they came along and ran over you, right? They treated you like an animal in the road that they despised, and they hit the gas, and they didn't even look back. They were glad to have hit you upside the head spiritually. So maybe, maybe we think of things in the past that have hurt us, helped us, or been done effectively through us, but the reality is, is that all of this isn't about us. This is about the Holy Spirit working in our midst. So the first thing we want to talk about when we're talking about the spiritual things in the church is the fact that this is about the Holy Spirit. And then it's not just about the Holy Spirit, but the fact that He is looking to involve you in what He is doing, His purposes and His desires. And so He is at the center and you are orbiting around Him. He is the one who gives the energy, and you're the one who's energized. He is the one who gives the gift, and you're the one who receives it and uses it. He's the one who calls, and you're the one who answers. Without him, you don't have it. It doesn't exist. It only exists through his presence and his power in your life. But there is this component of you being involved in that, right? And so you need to understand your relationship to the Holy Spirit at the start of it. And this has to do with you submitting to what the Holy Spirit wants for your life. That's a really big deal. How many of you are good at giving control to other people? You know, you're going to get in the car with your spouse, and you're like, oh, you drive, I don't mind. Yeah, <laughs> most of us, not really. Uh, you go to the restaurant with your friends, and you say, I don't need a menu. You're really good at ordering food. You order for me, right? 
You're better at this than I. Are you good at that? When someone says, what should we watch on TV? Do you say, whatever you want to watch is fine, right? No, we're all really good at meeting our own preferences and desires. And in this instance, guess what? Your preference and desire does not matter. It just doesn't. And I know that sounds offensive and harsh and rude, but it's how God rolls. And we see it all through the Bible. Look at Moses. Moses has run away from the role that God gave him in his life, right? God made him a ruler so that he could lead his people. And he got angry as a ruler. He killed somebody. He hid it. Then he got blamed for it. He was ashamed. And so he ran away and he hid himself for 40 years. And then he's a shepherd in the desert. And then all of a sudden, as he's shepherding in the desert, which is like eastern Washington, not like Palm Springs, right? So it's good for grazing animals. In, in the desert, he encounters a burning bush. And that burning bush is who? God. Yeah, maybe even the Holy Spirit is on that bush. Seems an awful lot like Acts chapter 2, fire from heaven that doesn't consume but empowers, right? And the Holy Spirit says to Moses, hey, Moses, I have plans for you. I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh. But what does Moses say? But, 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 but I have, have, have a stutter all of a sudden, and I'm not ready to do what you want me to do, right? He's like, this is not my choice. But God's like, nevertheless, this is my choice for you. We see this over and over again in the Bible. I know that I personally wrestled with this for years. I got saved and there was a calling on my life to be a pastor and to do this. And I spent about four years trying to only have the gift of helps because it's easy to help people who are in need. There's like almost no confrontation. If you try to show up to help somebody and they don't want it, you know what you do? No problem. I don't have to help you today. If you show up to church and you don't want to hear what I have to say, you know what I have to do? I have to say it anyways. I don't love conflict and confrontation. I'm also really not big on being the center of attention for a big crowd. And yet when God saved me, he called me to do this thing because it's his choice, not my choice. And you know what? I have to confess that I was so wrong in my wrestling because I've so enjoyed doing this. Not because it's about me, but because of what I see God do in people's lives through the work that I get to do. I often think to myself, wow, how did I get so lucky as to have a job like this where I get a front row seat and seeing people surrender their lives to Jesus, put their faith in him for the first time, activate their faith to work and serve the Lord. I mean, it's just so exciting to get to do what I do. And then when I talk with other people about their gifts, they feel the same way. They love showing up and serving. They love giving. They love teaching. They love comforting and counseling. They love leading worship because they're gifted to do that, because they're working with the strength of the Lord, and they're seeing his glory, and it is like a feast for their souls as they serve him together as a team. And so it's about what the Holy Spirit wants, but it's also good for you. I will also say this as part of this. There's a piece of every human that deeply and desperately wants to be known and loved. You were created to be known and loved. And so often, our human relationships, they fail to demonstrate the perfect love and perfect knowledge that we were created to live in. This relationship with the Holy Spirit, listening to him and serving him, being centered on him and his will for your life, that's where you find that. That's where you learn that unconditional love 
that you are perfectly known and accepted and that you are wanted and valued because of you. And not just that you're a trophy uh, bride of Christ, if you will, but that he has work to do with you because he's empowered you and made you for a purpose. And so this whole thing is central to the life of every human getting this down. And it's vital for a church to function well. Next, the Holy Spirit wants you out of the balcony. He wants you out of the balcony. So Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant in verse 1 of the things of the Spirit. This unawareness, this lack of awareness, this lack of ignorance contributes to a couple factors in the life of a believer. Balcony Christians are Christians who are inactive. They're not engaged in the work of the church. They come and they watch the church happen, right? They like seeing the show. They like being amazed by the worship. They like getting a nice zing or a comforting message in the sermon. Or if they don't get zinged, they look around the room and they say, at least I saw other people be touched by the message today. That's what really matters to me. Well, that, that is good, right? It is good to get zinged by God's word. It is good to see the impact of the word around the church around you. It is good to enjoy the worship. But is it all about watching? You know, is, is the church just some sort of spiritual exhibition where we see other people do the work and we just enjoy it? No, not at all. In fact, our consumer culture has made us connoisseurs of church instead of distributors of God's grace. And that's what the spiritual gifts are about. The, the word to describe gift is charismata, which is strongly related to the word charis, which is the word grace, God's gift for us in salvation. But specific gifts as part of salvation to each person. And so you've been given grace to distribute grace. And if you're just a balcony dweller in your faith, you're just watching the show and you're consuming everything, but you're not distributing everything. Now, if the church were a physical body and most of the time it consumed and then didn't push out energy, what's going to happen to the church? It's going to have a father figure, right? A dad bod. It, it, it's going to be a little bit cushy and squishy. There's not going to be a lot of energy in the church. There's an old country song. It says, I'm as good once as I ever was. And it's the emphasis of the country singer saying, in my youth, I could work really hard and have a lot of energy. But as I age, I can do once what I used to do every day. And then I need to sit down and rest. And often as Christians, when we sit in the balcony, it gets really hard to get up. Because you're a spiritual couch potato. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to do spiritual work. Because you're just used to consuming. Instead of distributing grace. And so, you know, it's really hard to go to church now. Because I can just listen later. Or watch online. It's not really a big deal if I miss a week. I'm still fed from last week because I didn't expend any of the energy that I was given this week. I don't need to fill my gas tank up because I didn't drive anywhere. So what's the purpose of going this week? You hear somebody say, we need volunteers, and you say, I really hope somebody else is listening, because I don't want to do that. These are signs of being a balcony Christian. You're called, you're gifted, you should be ready to engage, 
and you're really hoping somebody else does instead. Maybe you've retired from Christian service. I served my 30 years in the Lord's army and I'm ready for the pension. Well, I hate to say it, this side of the ground, there's no pension for you yet. There's work for you to do. Think of Joshua and Caleb as they took the promised land. You know, they got the call. Hey, we need to go finish the work the Lord is doing. They were the first ones in line. Come on, everybody. God gave us promises and gifts. Let's use them. But instead, so often, our seasoned saints are our sleepy saints because they've decided they've given enough. And if that's you, I know there's reasons for that. I know you're tired. I don't want to beat you up. I just do want to lovingly say, God has more in store for you, and he's not done with you yet. God wants you out of the balcony. You know, the other thing about the balcony is it insulates us. I was briefly watching uh, MTV in our hotel room this week because I just thought, man, I loved MTV as a teenager. I wonder what's on now. I turned it on for like 30 seconds. I was like, wow, this is really terrible television. There wasn't anything wrong with it in terms of, you know, stuff that was raunchy or anything, but I was just like, this, this is entertainment now, huh? So I guess that doesn't entertain me, and that's okay. It does somebody. But uh, the, the whole show, it was like 90 seconds of people live streaming a funeral service for a family that they were all connected to somehow. I didn't, didn't catch the whole thing. Maybe you know what's going on. It was like, you know, 2.30 in the afternoon on Tuesday. So if you were watching MTV, and you can clue me in. Let me know after the church service. But uh, the whole thing was them watching this, and it was flipping between three groups of people, and they were each trying not to really engage. So they were watching it, but they didn't want to get sucked into the difficulty and the hurt of the funeral service, the memorial for this loved one. And so some of them I saw it, they were like, oh, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. And then they flipped around, and instead of participating in the grief of the moment, which they actually needed, they started to critique the things that were happening around them and in them and with other people. So one of them at the end was like, man, that girl who, who came or who sang, she had, the, she had the vocals, you know, she was able to sing really well. But at the start of the song, you saw this person's face and you saw the, the eyes start to get a little bigger. You could see that their body was about to, you know, cry, which is appropriate at a funeral, right? But instead of engaging and participating, they entered into the balcony of critique and it insulated them from what was happening in the moment. You know, we often do that as believers. We critique what we see other people doing in the Lord instead of actually engaging and doing it ourselves. And so we critique the worship. Well, you know, the mix was off. I just couldn't get into it because the mix was off today. I didn't, didn't hear enough drums. Or, this vocalist was too loud. or the, You know, it just wasn't the song. I just say, you know, we didn't sing my favorite songs this week, so I wasn't particularly moved during the worship. I'm like, is it not your favorite God? You know, like, aren't these songs about the one that you love the most? Shouldn't you just be joyfully joining in because it's about him and not you? But so often we enter into the insulated seat of critique. And instead of listening to the Lord and seeking the Lord, we separate ourselves and we become like those two Muppets, right? You know the Muppets I'm talking about who are always heckling and joking and critiquing what's happening but doing nothing productive themselves. And then finally, uh, we make it about the balcony and we make it about the experience. Now, you should have been there because this awesome thing happened. You, know, you, should, you should have been there because of what the Lord wants to do in your life, what the Lord wants to do in you and through you. It's not about the experience that we have, it's about the relationship that we have 
with Jesus. That's why Paul says, now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. I want you to know what's going on as you worship. I want you to know what's going on as you're the church body, the body of Christ on earth. I want you to be engaged and plugged in and overflowing with the fruits of the Spirit and the energies of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the knowledge of the Spirit so that you might function well as a church. Now, the opposite of being in the balcony is being in the game, right? That's why Paul tells Timothy, his disciple, Timothy, I want you to fan into flame the gifts that were bestowed upon you when you were saved and when we laid hands on you. I want you to use what God has given you, and I want, to learn, I want you to learn to use it well. I don't want you to be ignorant at all. I don't want you to be on the balcony. I want you to be an active distributor of the grace which God has given to you. And so we need to be aware of what the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us are. We need to get off the balcony. We need to not consume or critique, but instead we need to distribute the grace that he has given us. Next, the Holy Spirit wants you on his team. The Holy Spirit wants you on his team. Whose team are you on? If you were to look at your life, the things you spend your time on, the things you spend your money on, the things that you seek in your life, who's the most important? It's important for us to stop and measure that occasionally because sometimes we think we're on God's team, but we're actually not on God's team. I've coached enough little league teams now to know that everybody who wears the uniform isn't always playing for the team, right? Sometimes they're grumbling and complaining. They're not playing for the team. They're not listening to the coach. Then they're not helping their teammates. Instead, they're fighting us. They've become an enemy on the team. They're not on the team that we're playing against, but they're certainly not on our team, not in the midst of that, because they're not working with what's happening. They're doing their own little thing. Sometimes we're not on God's team because we've made it all about us. How many of you have watched your favorite sports team tank because the number one player on the, on the team becomes about number one instead of about the work on the team? And so instead of working together as a team, they're always looking for the glory, always looking for the credit, always looking for the play that they can star in instead of making their team successful. Well, that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. They were all about exalting themselves. They were all about being important. But sometimes you're not on the team because even though you're called and you're gifted and you know it, you avoid. It's scary to use your spiritual gifts. People might see you. God might call you out of your comfort zone into something that you really weren't interested in to begin with. Now, I know that there's blessing for you in that, but I also know the temptation of saying, not today, please, Jesus. I just like to be comfortable. It's Tuesday. I gave at the office on Sunday. I'll see you back there again. And so sometimes we back off of Jesus' team because it's hard for us to imagine ourselves doing the service that God has called us to do. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit wants you on his team. Now, finally, there's another way that we might not be on the team. And it's because we're either not saved or we're behaving like we did before we knew Jesus. Paul tells the Corinthian church, you know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. So Paul's talking with the church about what it used to be like when they worshiped divine beings angels, which are actually demons, right? Paul's really clear about that. When you participate in idol worship, you're worshiping demons. 
He says, you know what that was like, that you were enticed, that you were led astray by these things that couldn't even speak to you. They weren't personal objects. You didn't know them. They didn't energize you, but you were led astray by them easily. In fact, you even wanted to be led astray by them. Now, this can mean a number of things. It could just mean that the Corinthians went to the feasts and the festivities and they were led astray by the people who did these things. But we also know that in the Corinthian temples, there was ecstatic worship. And there were wild things happening and people out of control and essentially incredibly influenced, or we might say possessed, by demons. And they would do the things that these spirits led them to do. And then everybody would go, wow, they're really into it. You know, Aphrodite's really blessing them. Dionysus is touching them. Look at that. They're, they're not even human anymore. They're, they're wild with the, the gifts of the gods. Paul's saying, you know what it was like. You went along with it, or you were even a part of it. He says, therefore, you know that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying, you know what it used to be like. You know what the the pagan worship was like, because you used to engage in that. But now you know because of that what it looks like to listen to the one true and living God, Jesus, the Lord, and his Holy Spirit who's come into your life. He's saying if you believe that Jesus is your Lord, if you've submitted your life to him, that that is by the Holy Spirit. That's the proof of the work of the Holy Spirit, your desire to listen to him and to be led by him. But on the other hand, we also know that you can't say Jesus is cursed by the Holy Spirit. Now, Scholars were kind of scratching our head on this issue. What does this mean, Jesus is cursed? What, what is that all about? Well, there's kind of three camps which make the most sense. First of all, there's the, the camp that in the worship services for the idols, for the demons, if things were going a little too far for you, you were feeling uncomfortable with how this demon was working in your life, you would curse the God that you were worshiping and it would create space because you were resisting in your mind. Remember, the spiritual battlefield is your mind. And that means that demonic influence happens in our lives according to our consent. We're willing for it to be there. I know that might sound shocking, but this is evidenced over and over again in deliverance ministries. It's evidenced in the, in the Bible, right? We get to resist the devil with the word of God. We use the shield of faith. We have the truth of Christ in our lives. And so in our minds, we fight our spiritual battles. And so there was this practice where in these temples, as you were praising, you would curse the spirit so that you would have more power than it in the moment and you would not become uncomfortable in your pagan worship. And that probably seems strange, Good news, that doesn't happen here, so we don't have to worry about that, right? But that could be what it's talking about. And then additionally, it was a mixed church audience. And so it's possible that the Jewish, believe, the Jewish pre-converts who are coming and hearing about Christ, who are being witnessed to, as they're talking about Jesus, they're just saying, man, Jesus is cursed. He hung on a tree, and we know, according to Deuteronomy, that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed by God. God's word is clear Jesus is cursed. Well, good news. We know that the Holy Spirit doesn't lead someone to that conclusion. That the Holy Spirit leads people to the conclusion that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. That he who knew no sin became sin so that on our behalf we might become the righteousness of God. Right? Jesus took on the curse of the cross so that we didn't have to take on the curse of death. 
Okay, and the third one is that some believers were being put by the test, both by their pagan spiritual leaders or the Jewish spiritual leaders, and they were being persecuted. And the answer to the pain was just to say, I don't believe in Jesus. Let Jesus be cursed. His name doesn't matter. I'll spit on that name. And Paul's saying the Holy Spirit isn't going to lead you to abandon Jesus. He's saying, look at what happened in Acts. Look at Stephen. Stephen didn't curse the name of Jesus, church. Instead, he blessed the name of Jesus. You can read his sermon in Acts 6 and Acts 7, I think, and he talks about the work of the Lord, and he talks about the resurrected Christ, and it's convicting for the spiritual leaders that are there. And even though he's perishing, he's perishing in the power of Jesus in his life. And Paul's saying, wouldn't it be better to be that way, submitted to the Holy Spirit, even in your death, instead of abandoning him, abandoning him in a moment of hardship? And he's saying, in your hardship even, God's not going to lead you to abandon the Lord or curse him, but instead to further your trust in him, to let it be known that he is your Lord and your Savior. He is the king of your life, and he will do as he pleases. Isn't that what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in the fiery furnace? And even if we perish, O oh great king, even if we perish, we know that our God is with us and that this is his will for our lives. Instead, what happened? In the fiery furnace, who showed up? A theophany, God himself is dancing in the flames. And those who are watching say, didn't, didn't we put three guys in? But now there's a fourth shining one, one like we've never seen before, full of glory. And he's dancing with them. And what happened to those men? They weren't singed. They weren't touched. They were just dancing in the fire with Jesus. Paul is saying, if you want to dance in the fire, you've got to stand firm in your faith. You've got to stay submitted to the Holy Spirit in the trials. God has great plans for you in that. And so stay on God's team. Don't become discouraged. Don't quit. Serve the Lord. Stay humble. Use the gifts that he's given you. Use them mightily and faithfully. Next, I forgot to make this one yellow. The Holy Spirit wants you off the bench. He wants you off the bench. Why do kids sit on the bench in sports? Okay, because it's fair and everybody needs a chance to play, right? But then, why do some kids sit on the bench more? They're not great, right? You can only stick so many kids in right field during the inning. Not everybody can pitch. Not everybody can play first base. Well, sometimes we sit on the bench for a little too long. Certainly, we can't do everything in the church, and it's not right for us to try, but some of us, we always stay on the bench because we lack confidence in God's ability to use us. We're never willing to step out in faith. We're never willing to take the risk. We're not willing to say, I can do it if you train me. I will be faithful and trustworthy. I will stand up and stand firm with you, and instead, we just sit, and we just wait I've talked with so many Christians, and they're like, I just wish God would use me. And I'm like, just get in the game then. Stop waiting. He's got work for you to do. Say yes to one of the opportunities that he's presented you with. Ask somebody how you can serve. Pray that he will give you opportunities to serve. Ask God to use you, how you when you can serve. Ask God to show you what your gift is. It's so important for you to get off the bench and just get in the game so often we're waiting to be zapped for God to send us a letter and say, I gave you the gift of whatever. Next Tuesday, show up. There's even going to be a paycheck. Often what discovering your spiritual gift looks like is showing up to serve 
and then going, that felt really nice. And then somebody else saying, you're really good at this. Do you think God might have gifted you in that? Well, I don't really know. Maybe he did. I should keep trying. Let's pray for you about that, right? Often, finding your spiritual gift means trying it out. But sometimes, even lack of success doesn't mean that it's not your gift. The first time I taught a youth group in Wilsonville, Oregon, I was so anxious and afraid. I babbled too fast. I mumbled and stumbled. I was nervous and I couldn't read my Bible well, so I took a music stand and I pulled it up to right about here, which also served the purpose of not being able to see the people I was talking to. How do you think that went? Yeah, I was pretty bad. <laughs> I pushed the music stand down and everyone was looking at me like a confused dog on a dog food commercial. Huh? Heads tilted, eyes glazed over like fresh Krispy Kreme donuts. And then I said, did any of that make sense? And one girl who had no shame said, nope. <laughs> and it just confirmed that I missed the mark. And then I said, well, what God's trying to say is this. And I gave it in one sentence. And they were all like, oh, okay. And then I said, let's pray. And we did. And then we played another game, right? Because I didn't know how to use my gift yet. It didn't mean that God didn't gift me in that way. It just meant that I was a total noob and I needed somebody to train me. And then I got training. And then God continued to use me. But the gift was there. Paul says, now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. The same Spirit is giving all of these gifts, and He wants you off the bench, and there are lots of ways to serve. There are lots of ways to be involved. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. You know, sometimes in the church, we want everybody to look like us and think like us and act like us. We want uniformity. God isn't into uniformity. He's into diversity. And he's into our conformity to the image of Christ, which calls us into unity. And so we want to be unified in the different ministries. It's so important that the church who has, has people who can lead and discern and people who are merciful and compassionate. And sometimes those leading and discerning people look at the merciful and compassionate people and say, you want to help them? You know, that's, they're just like an empty, bottomless hole. And the more resources you pour in, the less you're going to get out, Right? And those compassionate, merciful people are like, but the spirit of the living God is just saying, bless them today. Can we just bless them today? And then the discerning, deciding people are like, fine, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. But we need to do those things together. But I guess the merciful people would probably just like to never have to worry about it. And the discerning people would rather just say no all the time, because that's a lot more comfortable, right? But God has the different ministries in the church to make us whole in Christ. There are different activities, but the same God produces each gift and each person. You can't all play the same position on the field. We need shortstops and second basemen and right fielders and left fielders, and we need coaches, and we need people to make the field up, and we need umpires, and we need people to make the balls and make the bats, and we need people to encourage the people who just struck out. We need all sorts of people working in the church for the game to work, right? It's not just those who are on the field that count. It's everybody being a part of the game together, and then it works. There's different activities, but goodness sakes, the same God is producing these activities in each of us. Now, it's also important for us to note that gifts look differently in each person, okay? My gift of teaching looks differently than my mentor John's gift of teaching. 
We don't have the same personality profile, but we teach the word the same, and God uses us. And I can't measure myself against John's sermons, and John can't measure himself against my sermons. We need to measure ourselves against the Lord and his call for us. You might have the gift of helps, but your gift of helps looks like fixing people's houses, where somebody else has the gift of helps, and their gift of helps looks like helping people who are sick. Then you wonder, why can't I do that? Well, your gift of helps is different. You might have the gift of administration, so you run the children's ministry. And you might have the gift of administration, so you run your household. Both are okay. Both are using your gift for the Lord. It's about your heart for Him and listening to Him. And so we need to ask the Spirit, Spirit, what do you want us to do? What activity are you calling me to be a part of? What gift have you given me to serve? Because my gift is going to be different than your gift, even if we call them by the same name. Because God has lots of work for us to do. By the way, it's pretty exciting when we do it. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I skipped the verse. Don't do that, Chris. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. So the heart of these gifts is for us to work together as a team for the good of all. You are given your gift for the good of the church. If you are not using your gift in your church, your church is lacking in some way. If you're visiting, your church needs your gifts. If you're a part of this church, this church needs your gifts. We need you. Our mission won't work well unless if we're all involved and doing what we are made to do best. To, each one, is given, to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. So this wisdom is discernment, an understanding of what would be good or best or fitting in a given situation. Another is a, a message of knowledge given by the Spirit. These are facts about things that might happen, that could happen. I'll just tell you personally uh, that when I first became a Christian, I, I moved to the Oregon coast for the summer and did children's ministry for the summer, and I was praying for a, a person I loved back, back home who was going through a hard time, and the, the Lord revealed to me that they'd started to do drugs and that they were using a lot of marijuana, but that it was going to be a gateway, and it was going to be bad for them if they didn't quit. And so I prayed all summer, and I went home, and I, I lovingly confronted the person and asked them to quit. Now, they didn't, but the Lord gave me a word of knowledge, and, and it was true. It, it was real. And the Lord did that, not for my good, but for the good of the one that I loved. And sometimes the Lord gives us information to use for the good of other people. Maybe you get words of knowledge and, and you need to tell your friend, hey, I think you ought to be really cautious about this job that seems really alluring. I know that it's a big paycheck, but the Lord is saying it's going to be harmful for you and you need to be willing to share that. I, I know that sounds scary, but certainly, certainly as you do that, be gentle, please, and, and don't beat up on people with that. We don't want to be spiritually abusive. God gives knowledge to build up, not to tear down. And a friend once told me who often received words of knowledge that in her opinion, the benefit of the word of knowledge was for intercession, that God gave her knowledge so that she could intercede. And then she would ask, Lord, when do you want me to share the knowledge? Because maybe it's always just for intercession, she thought. To another, faith by the same spirit. Now, this isn't saying the gift of salvation, right? We all have faith, and we know that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need of Christ and even gives us the ability to put our faith in Christ. But this is faith beyond that. This is faith where Peter called to Jesus, Jesus, if that's you out on the water, just call my name and I will step out and I will come to you. What do you think the other disciples thought? Nice knowing you, Pete. <laughs> right? You're getting out of the boat. This is the time to stay in the boat. You're not a swimmer and you sink, Pete. 
Pete got out of the boat because he had faith. Pete also got out of the boat in the book of Acts. Just 40 days, 50 days before he was denying Jesus when it was just a slave girl confronting him for his faith. And then all of a sudden before a crowd of thousands, Peter's saying things like, the Jesus who you crucified. How did he do that? The gift of faith, boldness to do what God is asking you to do. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Now this gift of healing is divine healing manifested through prayer, sometimes command. We see this, Jesus do this, we see this happen in Acts. Some of us have seen this in real life, but God's work is always supernatural. I want to highlight that. All of these gifts so far have been supernatural gifts. Wisdom, discernment, words of knowledge, faith. This healing is the same thing. It's not any different, but sometimes we limit God based on our physical understanding of things, but we know that God is not limited by physics as we see them. He's the creator of physics. He is the Lord of life, and he is the king of his castle. And as he desires, it is, and he is able to heal. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. Paul just continues. We'll describe some of these in future messages. The Holy Spirit is gifting each of us, and he wants us off the bench using our gift with zeal and with wisdom so that we are effective in the ministry that he has called us to together. And then finally, the Holy Spirit wants you in the game. He wants you in the game. He wants you engaged. He wants you playing as a team. And the same Spirit is active in all of these to di distributing to each person as he wills. The Holy Spirit is like the head coach of our team. He's assigned the positions. He's given you the skills and the talent. He's calling you off the bench. He's calling you out of the balcony. He's asking you to be on the team. And it's not to wait around. It's to get in the game, to do the work that he has called you to do, to enjoy the work that he has called you to do. He wants you in the game. How many of you remember that moment in gym class where teams got picked? I want you to think about that moment because that moment says a lot about your natural personality. Some of us were like, I better be first. I had better be first. I am awesome and I am ready to win and you better acknowledge that. And then if we were first, we were like, yes, I knew it. And if we weren't first, we were wounded because we were like, oh, they only chose that person because they're a whatever. They're their friend. They, they did better in the last game, but I'm better. But it's, it's all about us in that moment, right? And some of, us, some of us are just hoping that we're not last, right? We, we just want to be picked before the last person because the last person is obviously the least thought of, the least skilled, you know, voted by the gym class to be least likely to succeed at dodgeball or whatever you were playing that day. And some of us were just wishing we didn't have to leave the locker room, right? Like we don't want to have to be picked at all. And, and hopefully we don't get picked first or last because then nobody will see us. And hopefully there's a friend on the team that I can talk with during the game because I really don't want to have to play. And it's more fun to stand in the corner and critique the people who are playing and getting nasty and sweaty than to actually have to do the work you're called to be on the team, and you're called to be productive on the team. So wherever you landed in that middle school memory and experience, you have to realize that God's going to call you to get over that a little bit. Your desire to be first, your desire to be not last, your desire to be unnoticed and unimportant 
because you're noticed and you're important and he's first and he's last and he wants you on his team doing the work and I got to tell you that if you have faith in Christ it's the most energizing exciting thing to be on the team to be engaged because guess what God's victorious God's gonna win God causes the growth. He just says water. He just says sow the seed. He just says encourage. He just says build up. He just says help. He just says teach. He just says discern. He just says pray. He just says get in the game. I've got a game plan and I want you on the team. The Holy Spirit wants you off the bench, out of the balcony, on his team, and in his game. Which one of these things stood out to you the most today about yourself? Are you on the bench? Are you uncomfortable? Are you waiting and avoiding? Do you not even know what your gift is? Are you on the balcony, consuming, critiquing, insulated from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you on your own team? Are you grumbling and complaining? Are you looking out for number one or are you a part of what the Lord is doing? Are you in the game? Are you enjoying it? Are you playing to win? Do you know the plays? Are you learning your position? Are you glad to be a part of the team? Are you ready to celebrate the victory? The Holy Spirit wants to do something awesome and powerful and good and dare I say even new in this church family. It's what he does. He brings his goodness and his renewal. He brings his fruit. He gifts with his gifts. But we have to be willing to receive it because they're gifts. And then we have to be willing to use them because they're skills and they're things that we can train other people in using. But we have to want it. We have to say, yes, I will be on your team. I will get off the bench. I will get out of the balcony. Let's pray. Lord, we are so excited for what you're going to do in our church family. We're thankful that you've given everyone who believes in Jesus a spiritual gift and that you want us to use those gifts for your glory and for the good of the church around us. And we're even thankful that somehow, as we die to ourselves and live in you, we experience the abundant life that you designed us for from the foundation of the earth. So we pray, Father, that you would help us to understand our gifts and use our gifts and bless other people through them. And Lord, we want you to get all the glory. We want this church to be alive and on fire with your spirit, because of your desire and your goodwill for our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.